Chapter 8, Part 2 of U.S. Marine Operations in Korea, 1950-1953, Volume 2, The Inchon Seoul Operation, by Lynn Montross and Nicholas Canzona. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. On to Kimpo. The Drive to Kimpo Airfield On the evening of D-plus-1, General Smith had issued Operation Order 5-50, directing the 1st and 5th Marines to attack toward Corps Phase Line CC the next morning. The actual jump-off on 17 September was delayed about an hour by the intrusion of the ill-fated Red Tank Column. Both in scope and in shape, Phase Line CC was an enlargement of the FBHL. Beginning on the coast above Incheon and running parallel to the Incheon Seoul Highway, the line extended inland about eight miles to bend around Kimpo Airfield. It then ran southward, intersecting the highway two miles east of Sosa and finally terminating at an inlet not far from the Namdong Peninsula. The 5th Marine's tactical plan was of necessity an ambitious one since approximately two-thirds of the division's projected 19-mile frontage lay in Murray's zone. On the left, an attached KMC battalion would attack northward to the phase line, taking high ground objectives 1, 2, and 3 in route. Royce's 2nd Battalion was to advance in the center on a northeasterly course, which included objectives Abel, Baker, and Charlie, the latter being Kimpo itself. Newton's 1st Battalion would follow the 2nd initially, then take over the regimental right and seize objectives Easy and Fox, two sprawling hills just beyond the phase line. The 3rd KMC Battalion passed through 2-5's lines at 0700 for the purpose of clearing the western outskirts of Ascom City before driving toward its numbered objectives to the north. That the initial mission was accomplished only with considerable difficulty and assistance will be shown later. Afterwards, the Korean Marines made rapid progress as they advanced over flatlands almost devoid of enemy resistance. Lieutenant Colonel Royce launched 2-5's attack at 0900. Company E led the long route column eastward on the Incheon Seoul Highway through the carnage left by the defeat of the Red Tank Thrust. Having marched about a mile, the vanguard of the battalion turned left on a secondary road that traced the eastern edge of Ascom City. The expanse of urban area would prove to be a thorn in the side of the 5th Marines for the next 24 hours. Originally a large Korean village called Taejong-ni, Ascom City became the site of a huge service command of the United States Army during the occupation of South Korea after World War II. The few acres of small buildings and thatched huts had grown into almost two square miles of residential, industrial, and storage area. Caves, large warehouses, hundreds of other buildings, and a complex network of streets made it an ideal hiding place for fragments of a broken enemy, as the Marines were shortly to learn. Marching northward toward the outskirts, Easy Company of 2-5 was repeatedly held up by small pockets of resistance among the dwellings on both sides of the road. Captain Jaskilska's veteran infantry reduced the enemy positions methodically, but the whole morning was used up in the process. Simultaneously, with the main advance, the 2nd Platoon of Fox Company marched through the heart of Ascom City and screened 2-5's left flank. 
Second Lieutenant Tilney Anderson, the platoon leader, reported everything quiet in his zone, although his men did not have time to check all the side streets and blocks of buildings. Having cleared the eastern fringe of the city by noon, Royce looked in vain for the branch road shown on his map as leading to objective Abel and Baker, some four miles distant. The chart was inaccurate, and only a time-consuming reconnaissance could locate the correct route. It was already 1400 by the time Company E let off on the hike. While 2-5 was having its troubles in the eastern outskirts, Lieutenant Colonel Taplett's 3rd Battalion stepped in to help the Korean Marines on the other side of ASCOM City. In regimental reserve, 3-5 was scheduled to occupy a series of assembly areas throughout the day, moving forward by bounds behind the assault elements. The morning displacement into the western edge of ASCOM City took place before the KMC attack had cleared the suburb as planned. Using his initiative, Taplin committed his battalion against moderate resistance that was holding up the South Koreans. Company G went into action and knocked out a communist machine gun emplacement in the city. Next, a George Company patrol attacked a strong enemy force deployed among the buildings. The North Koreans fled after a hot fight, leaving behind 18 dead at a cost of three wounded to the Marines. Item and Howe companies also spread out through the maze of targets, and there were several more skirmishes before the assembly area was secured. The Korean Marines then passed through an attack to the north, as mentioned earlier. The first platoon of A tanks, having silenced other enemy positions in the city, made contact with 3-5 at 1500. Leaving the built-up area, Lieutenant Pomeroy led his M26s in search of 2-5 in order to support that unit's drive on Kimpo. His armor was escorted by Lieutenant Anderson's rifle platoon, which had just completed its independent mission in ASCOM City without incident. Finding a road to the northeast proved as much of a headache to Pomeroy as it had to Royce, particularly since his big vehicles could not use the same route over which 2-5's infantry column had advanced an hour earlier. Extending his quest northward, the tank platoon leader found a road that not only paralleled the infantry's path, but also led to within a few hundred yards of Kimpo, now about five miles distant. The M26s proceeded approximately a mile on the new route and were stopped by a damaged bridge. First Lieutenant Wayne E. Richards rounded up a party of Korean natives to help his second platoon of A engineers repair the span. During the layover, Pomeroy's force was beefed up by another platoon of M26s, brought forward by Captain Girl M. English, the company commander, and a long column of rolling stock from 2-5's headquarters. Meanwhile, the leading elements of Royce's infantry reached the foot of objectives Abel and Baker, two large hills about 4,000 yards due south of Kimpo. There being no evidence of the enemy in the area, the battalion commander did not waste time by committing whole rifle companies to the high ground. At 1600, Lieutenant Deptula's 1st Platoon of Easy Company ascended objective Baker, while the rest of the battalion waited on the road below. The hill was laced with vacant entrenchments, and once on the summit, Deptula further observed that Objective Abel was unoccupied. Moreover, he reported by radio that it appeared to be clear sailing over the low ground leading to the airfield. Acting on this information, Royce promptly launched his attack on Kimpo, 
one of the major tactical objectives of the Inchon Seoul operation. A left faced by the roadbound column put the troops of 2-5 on line for the assault. Easy and Dog Companies, the latter on the left, advanced rapidly against only desultory sniper fire. Captain English's tanks arrived propitiously, entering far out to the left front of the attacking infantry. At a point 1,000 yards south of the airfield, the M26s came under moderate small arms fire. Lieutenant Anderson's rifle platoon dismounted and engaged the small force of North Koreans, knocking out one automatic weapon with grenades. The Marine armor put down the remaining resistance with seven rounds of 90mm high-explosive, HE, followed by a thorough hosing from bow machine gun fire. Just as this action subsided, Company D of 2-5 swept through the area, picked up a platoon of tanks, and continued toward the airfield. The other platoon of armor swung to the right to support Easy Company's attack. By 1800, the Marines were on the southern tip of Kimpo's main runway. Aside from sporadic long-range fire from the east, there was no opposition worthy of note. Action at 5th Marine CP Over a mile long and three-quarters of a mile wide, Korea's principal airdrome was no mean target to secure. Scattered around the field were more than half a dozen villages, and the runways themselves were lined by scores of plane revetments and emplacements. It was already dusk when Royce ordered his two assault companies to take the objective with all speed, but by nightfall the infantry and tanks had cleared only the southern portion of the runway. Rather than stretch a single defensive line to the point of diminishing returns, the battalion commander deployed his three rifle companies in separate perimeters, each one a tightly knit strong point. Easy Company dug in on the east of the main runway and dog on the west. Company F deployed to the south of the airfield, paying particular attention to the main road and a pair of intersections that tied in secondary routes. In a central perimeter was 25CP, and Able Company tanks took up positions in Company D's area. Just before dark, Lieutenant Deptulip's platoon had raced northward to outpost the village of Suryoyu Lee several hundred yards beyond Company E's lines. While 25 was investing the southern reaches of Kimpo, Lieutenant Colonel Newton's 1st Battalion, 5th Marines, pressed the attack on the regimental right. Encountering no resistance, Company A occupied the southern portion of Objective Easy at 1900. Company B ascended the northern half of the high ground without incident later in the evening. With Charlie Company on another hill to the west, 1-5 settled down for the night some 1,500 yards southeast of the 2nd Battalion's lines. Two miles to the rear, 3-5 deployed in regimental reserve around a critical road junction midway between Kimpo and Ascom City. During the afternoon of 17 September, as the assault elements of the 5th Marines rolled forward over a relatively quiet front, regimental headquarters suddenly found itself in the center of an angry hornet's nest. Lieutenant Colonel Murray CP had just displaced to the north of the railroad station in Ascom City when Commission Warrant Officer Bill E. Parrish walked across the tracks to reconnoiter a site for his ordnance dump. Gaining the summit of a small knoll, the officer and his NCO assistants were met by a heavy fusillade from the orchard and rice paddy beyond. 
Parrish was killed instantly and two of his men seriously wounded. Cries of help brought 1st Lieutenant Nicholas A. Canzona's 1st Platoon of A. Engineers, which had just arrived at Murray C.P. In a brief clash around the orchard, the engineers killed 10 enemy diehards. South Korean police swept through the adjoining rice paddy and came up with seven prisoners. About the same time, Major James D. Jordan's party arrived in the area to select a position for Battery A of 111. Again, small arms fire crackled. Two of Jordan's NCOs, Technical Sergeants Kenneth C. Boston and Donald Comiskey, plowed through the hail of lead and killed four more North Koreans. North of the railroad, still another Marine was killed and one more wounded not far from Murray's headquarters. For obvious reasons, a tight perimeter of engineers and H&S Company troops was drawn around the CP during the night. Nevertheless, a Red officer stumbled through the line in the darkness and seriously wounded 2nd Lieutenant Lawrence Hetrick of A. Engineers. At dawn on 18 September, the regimental commander and his staff were awakened by the chatter of an enemy submachine gun a few yards from the CP. Holed up in a grain field with one communist rifleman, the officer who had shot Hetrick fought fanatically against a whole platoon of engineers. Another Marine was wounded before the suicidal stand was crushed by grenades and rifle fire. There were no regrets when Murray's headquarters took leave of Ascom City and displaced to Kimpo. Enemy Counterattack at Kimpo The air at Kimpo was charged with tension during the night of 17 to 18 September. Troops of 2-5, manning perimeters which had been laid out on unfamiliar ground during darkness, had every reason to believe that the North Koreans would not give up the airfield without a fight. But there were troubles enough in the North Korean camp, where confusion and panic seemed to be the order of the day. Intelligence on the enemy garrison in the Kimpo area presents a scrambled picture so characteristic of the communist organization throughout the Incheon-Seoul operation. It appears that elements of the NKPA 1st Air Force Division were charged with the operation of the airfield. Under the command of 40-year-old Chinese-trained Brigadier General Wan Yong, the division was comprised of the following units, more often than not, more fragments thereof. Division Headquarters, 1st Company Engineer Battalion, Fighters Regiment, 3rd Company Engineer Battalion, Fighters Regiment, 3rd Platoon, Gunners Company, 2nd Company, 1st Battalion, 1st Regiment, 2nd Battalion, 1st Regiment, Finance Company, 3rd Technical Battalion, Supply Company. The Kimpo Force was augmented by a motley mixture of poorly trained troops from the 226th and 107th NKPA regiments and the separate 877th Air Force Unit. In the face of the Marine advance, Colonel Han Choi Han, commander of the 107th, had fled across the Han River, leaving the remnants of his regiment to an obvious fate. Major Kung Chan So, leader of the 877th AF unit, was killed in action on 17 September. Of the 400 men originally assigned to his organization, only five remained in combat by 18 September. Crowded into undesirable terrain between the airfield and the Han River, the Red Troops were demoralized and bewildered by the rapid advance of the 5th Marines. Only the fanaticism of a few officers and NCOs prevented the complete collapse that would have resulted from the lack of tangible assistance 
from the North Korean leaders in Seoul. And it was no boost to saggy morale that white clothing had been issued by the supply company so that the red soldiers could quickly change to the traditional Korean garb when defeat was imminent and dissolve in the local populace. And the counterattack against the airfield, which was designed to uproot a full-strength marine battalion backed by tanks and other heavy fire support, the celebrated night tactics of the communists fizzled completely. With only a few hundred men at most, the rest having slipped away to safer parts, the North Koreans further reduced their strength by trying to develop three widely separated attacks. That they launched these assaults with only rifles and submachine guns serves to make the story more incredible. The first move was in company strength against Lieutenant Deptula's isolated platoon outpost in Sorio Lee, far to the north of Easy Company lines. Deployed on both sides of a road junction in the village, the Marines heard the enemy column approaching about 0300. Deptula held fire until the Red Vanguard marched into the center of his position. Sergeant Richard L. Martson then jumped to his feet, bellowed, United States Marines, and opened up with his carbine on full automatic. A sheet of rifle and bar fire poured into the column from the roadsides, and a dozen North Koreans went down in a heap. The remainder fled. The communist commander rallied his soldiers for three more thrusts against the Marine position. In between the attacks, his gravel-voiced exhortations ground the air. The will to fight was lacking, however, and each time, the attackers barely brushed the Marine position before darting back into the night. A T-34 tank was finally brought up to buttress another North Korean assault. Without AT weapons to stop the armored vehicle rumbling down the road toward his platoon, Deptula retraced southward in the direction of 2-5's main positions. The outpost had suffered only one KIA and one WIA in blunting the four attacks. It was not pursued during the withdrawal. Deptula's platoon gained Company E's lines at 0500, just before the perimeter received enemy small arms fire from the west. Captain Jaskilka, supposing it to be coming inadvertently from Dog Company, forbade his men to reply. He stood up and yelled, Hey, cease fire, you guys. This is easy company. Fortunately, the enemy's aim must have been disturbed by the spectacle of a Marine officer giving orders, for Jaskilka escaped without a scratch after discovering his mistake. This enemy force proved to number about two squads, and just at that moment the main NKPA force hit from the east. Easy Company was thus engaged on two fronts, with Jones's recoilless gun platoon taking on the attack from the west, while the 2nd platoon bore the brunt of the assault from the east. The 2nd Battalion's southernmost position, manned by Company F, had been active throughout the night. Lieutenant Harrell's assault platoon, together with Richard's engineer outfit, was entrenched around an overpass within the southeastern arc of the company perimeter. In the first hours of 18 September, a North Korean lieutenant and his five-man demolition team tried to reach the bridge in an apparent attempt to destroy it. Sergeant Ray D. Curl opposed the intruder single-handedly, killing the Red Officer and three of his men, and driving the remaining pair back into the night. Before daybreak, another enemy patrol approached on the road and was annihilated. It proved that these and other scattered incidents were the prelude to the third and final attack against the airfield, 
which was launched from the south at dawn. The last maneuver by the Reds, however, was checked even before it began, for the 1st Battalion, 5th Marines, spotted the attackers moving across its front toward Kimpo. Baker Company took the North Koreans under fire immediately, and the battalion commander called down heavy mortar and artillery concentrations. Most of the communist column was disorganized and dispersed before it could reach 2-5 southern defenses. The lone platoon that did connect with Company F's perimeter engaged the Marines at the overpass. Harold's troops and engineers poured small arms fire and white phosphorus rockets into the attackers. Staff Sergeant Robert J. Kikta, defying enemy bullets as he moved among his men shouting encouragement, fell mortally wounded. Sergeant David R. de Armand, normally a bulldozer operator for A. Engineers, was killed behind his machine gun. After the short, bitter clash, the surviving North Koreans retreated through the rice paddies and hills leading to the Han River. Companies E and F, supported by A tanks, fanned out from their perimeters and mopped up. In 1-5 zone, Lieutenant Colonel Newton committed Charlie Company against the withdrawing enemy and inflicted more casualties. Kimpo and the surrounding villages were secured by 10 18 September. Half an hour later, Lieutenant Colonel Royce ordered Company D, supported by tanks, recoilless rifles, and heavy machine guns, to seize Regimental Objective Dog, Hill 131, which dominated the banks of the Han River north of the airfield. Advancing under cover of naval gunfire, the Marines occupied the high ground unopposed at 11.45. In the 24 hours since leaving Ascom City, the 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines, had suffered 4 KIA and 19 WIA in driving over 9 miles of hills and rice paddies. The rapid advance cost the North Koreans 100 dead in 2-5 zone, 10 prisoners, and one of the finest airdromes in the Far East. End of Chapter 8, Part 2 Read by Aaron Bennett